Welcome to Group Work. I'm your host, Katie K. May, and I interview mental health therapists to find out what happens in the space where group therapy takes place. Take a deep breath and find your seat inside the circle. This episode of Group Work is about to get started. Today on Group Work, I'm welcoming Jen Moyer. Jen helps teens who have anxiety, intrusive thoughts, stuck thoughts, avoidant behaviors, and OCD to find their worth and move beyond the obstacles that are holding them back so they can live a full life they love. Jen is a certified exposure and response prevention therapist, and she specializes in working with the teen population at Creative Healing, a teen support center in the greater Philadelphia area. To learn more about Jen, please visit creativehealingphilly.com slash Jen Moyer. Jen, I'm so excited to welcome you to the Group Work Podcast today. Tell our listeners a little bit about who you are and what your social anxiety group is all about. Absolutely. So I specialize in OCD and anxiety, which I love specializing in because it's really a lot of people who want to have a big life, but their life tends to get smaller when it comes to anxiety because anxiety tends to want us to avoid and engage in a lot of safety behaviors. And so my work with people with anxiety in general and OCD is to help them to ditch their safety behaviors, sometimes gradually, often gradually, and build exposure to the things that they want to do um, so that they're actually calling the shots and not anxiety and they're living the life that's planned out for them, not the life that anxiety wants them to live and learning that these things are safe and okay. I love this so much that you are able to give people their lives back, that they stop avoiding, they start approaching, they start living. And that's so important. Absolutely. It's such rewarding work to see a person who they want to do things and their life has gotten smaller and then to build their life back up to how they want it to be. And socially too, because I see a lot of people that just, they want friends and they want connection and they want to be real and vulnerable with people and fear is holding them back a lot from doing that. Yeah. Fear definitely gets in the way, but in a big way for a lot of people, how does this relate to your social anxiety group? What is the overall idea of this group that you run for teens? The idea came to me because I had clients who were saying, I noticed my social anxiety is increasing with COVID, that they've gotten so used to now being on virtual school where, depending on your school format, cameras can be off sometimes, or their cameras are on, but there's not a lot of pressure to participate in class. There's not a lot of the side conversations that just normally a person would engage in during the day. And I've also seen a lot of people that say, you know, I used to be more social and now I'm sticking with a close group of one or two friends and I feel safe with them, but I'm starting to feel nervous, even taught like texting other people or calling other people or even spending time in a safe way given COVID. And I was thinking, you know, there's going to be a spike in social anxiety. There is a spike and there's going to be, I think, even more of a spike as things open back up and people aren't used to social interaction anymore. So the group is a way for them to practice these skills and get used to social interactions again. You know what? I'm so glad that you said this. I had this conversation recently where I said to someone, I used to be an anxious parent, but I'm not anymore. And she was like, what's your secret? And when I really sat down to think about it, I was like, well, my secret is that we never leave the house. So there's there's no danger. <laughs> there's nothing to feel anxious about. And so I am curious about what looks different once things open up again. Absolutely. I think you're spot on. And I, I hear that from clients too, where they socially anxious clients when COVID hit, 
there was a lot of relief even around it for them of like, this is great. I don't have all these social obligations. I don't have dances. I don't have activities. I can kind of stick with my close group and anxiety temporarily decreased, which we know avoidance, even if it's not purposeful avoidance, and even if it's to be safe during COVID can lead to a spike in anxiety later. Yes, so much. So here's the big question. I like to know what led people into the work that they're doing and really what were they like in high school or in their formative years? So do you have a fun fact about you from high school or as a teenager that you're willing to share? Ooh, I am. My fun fact, which relates to social anxiety, is that I was highly socially anxious. I actually had social anxiety since I was a little kid. I needed, uh, I actually got like evaluated for speech lessons and things because they weren't sure why I wasn't talking in like elementary school. I was pretty, not completely mute, but to a concerning point that it would like concern teachers that I had. And so that evolved. And and I think I naturally did exposures without knowing what it was because I wanted connection and I, I wanted to have friends. And then in high school, social anxiety was definitely better, but I was still on my journey. And I, I found a group of friends that I'm still friends with to this day. And it was great to like be able to like lean more and more into vulnerability. Yes, which is something that you and I connect on and I love so much about you, your willingness to be vulnerable and to do hard things, to to move yourself along towards your your ultimate goals and your life worth living. And something that you you touched on that I think is so important is that these people with social anxiety, myself included, it doesn't mean that they don't want connection. It's an avoidance because of the anxiety factor, but not an avoidance of people or connections. And that's where I think that this social anxiety group that you're running is so important. I'm curious if you can tell us really who it's for, like what kind of teen is appropriate for social anxiety group. So this would be a teen that social anxiety is is a presenting issue. I would say a disclaimer that some people get confused with is that some teens might lack social skills, like they really don't know. And it could be because of things like high functioning autism or autism. Now, sometimes with social anxiety, they think they don't know the social skill and it's really more of a perfection. Nobody's perfect socially. But if it does come to somebody who really struggles with even understanding like how to read social cues and social situations, this wouldn't be the top group for them. But this group would be perfect for people who have some foundation in social skills, but that as people, we're very imperfect socially. and We have a lot more wiggle room than we think we have. So definitely not perfect skills. Actually, for people, it's probably great for, it is great for people who think they need perfect social skills in order to be okay and to have a space to be imperfect and make social mistakes. I think it's such an important distinction that it's not a social skills group. It is a group to help you approach and sit within your anxiety socially and to still function within that space of being anxious. Is that right? Yes, that's a hundred percent. That I, I love the way you describe that of they are able to sit with their anxiety and know that and I feel like the group does teach them that they can tolerate their anxiety. Anxiety can still be there and they can still have a social group. And I find that reducing anxiety is a lot of times like a nice byproduct, like a perk of this group, but it's never promised that your anxiety will definitely decrease and right. or that there won't be any anxiety. Yeah. And I feel like there's this misconception with people who have social anxiety that they don't know how to do it, that they might freeze up. And that's what they perceive as like, I don't have social skills, but it isn't in fact the skill, but the the emotion that gets in the way. Yes. I see that all the time where they think, I don't know how to talk to people. And really they do know how to talk and have a conversation. They're just so scared. And you're right. There's that freeze. Sometimes there's like a freeze moment of their mind going blank. And we actually do exposures where 
they slow down the interaction so they don't pressure themselves. Like I have to think of something to say often with those situations, just taking a couple seconds to group and, and gather a thought can be really helpful in moving forward rather than I don't have the skills. I can't do it. Exactly. I would love to hear a little bit of a peek inside your group. Can you tell us what the group looks like, maybe the structure of the group and, and what someone might be able to expect being in your group? Oh, sure. So we have right now there's six people, but the group size ranges. Um, six is a nice number, but also we've gone up to nine in the group before. So I find that that's a nice number range, maybe even up to 10. I don't want to make it too big, but not too small, obviously, when it comes to social anxiety. So we get together in Zoom and I have a co-leader and we will usually do the first five to 10 minutes. We'll do some kind of icebreaker activity, um, opening activity. We'll review homework because everyone will have individual goals, like exposure goals for themselves outside of session. So we'll review, check in with each group member to see how that's going. And then the next part of group will usually teach some sort of skill. So this could be psychoeducation about anxiety. It could be identifying safety behaviors and then and how to decrease them. It can be being like mindful in the moment so that a person's not in their head during a social interaction, but really being mindful of of what the other person's saying. And so and even sometimes like thought restructuring, cognitive restructuring. So we'll introduce kind of a skill of social anxiety. And then from there, we'll do an exposure related to things. I will say I try to build exposure throughout. So everyone's participating on the regular throughout the group rather than waiting for somebody always to volunteer. I'll allow space for different ways of volunteering. But then we'll do an exposure activity usually. So that can be a game. It can be um, breakout room conversations and different things. And then we reconvene and it's like, did your worst expected outcome happen? And how was that? And could you tolerate it? And we'll all talk about that as a group and then a takeaway and then also something to do before the next session. This is amazing. So I love getting this breakdown of the structure that in every group, there's some kind of icebreaker, really helping them feel comfortable, reintegrating them into the group space, and then some kind of psychoeducation. I'm curious, I love the topics that you outlined. How do your group members respond to the psychoed that you're providing to them? Like, is it light bulb moments? Like they're, it's, they're making sense of their lives with it? Actually, there's two. One is that When it comes to social anxiety, I think a lot of people assume like, well, how does exposure work? Because I'm around people all day. Like I'm thinking pre-COVID. I'm always at school and I'm still anxious. No matter how much I talk to people, I'm still anxious. So why doesn't it work like just with exposure? So when I talk about safety behaviors, I see light bulb moments there of like, oh, it's not working because I'm actually doing, maybe I'm like holding myself back a lot or I'm not, I'm people pleasing or I'm not doing certain, I'm only halfway doing certain things. So, and then another light bulb moment I see is when we talk about shame, often shame and social anxiety, and that like everyone tends to have this core shame fear of like an adjective that they don't want to be known as. And with social anxiety, we kind of build our lives around avoiding that situation. And like, what's the cost of that avoidance? So like just building in shame into the conversation, I see light bulb moments throughout too. It sounds like it becomes so normalizing for them. I know, you know, with social anxiety, there's this fear of rejection, this fear of being cast out and the shame that comes with that. And so it seems like it would be so powerful to bring these group members together to show them like, this is your fear. And yet you're all experiencing this. So there's nothing weird or bad or wrong about you for having this experience. Yes, that's such a common one that I find all group members are bonding over like, yes, I'm so afraid I'll be rejected. 
And it's, we actually have an activity that we did, it was maybe a few weeks ago, where everyone wrote down their adjective that they're really afraid of. And we presented it to the group. We presented our adjective. And you're exactly what you said, like to realize that you're not alone and other people have these adjectives and these fears is really powerful. Talk about opposite action, right? Like the DBT skill of here's the thing I'm most afraid of, my private experience, and now making it public in a group setting. And that's such a a cool way to help them come together and also to really face that fear. Yeah, that was one of my most rewarding sessions, I think, because it's so true. These, These fears like lay underneath the surface of us. And I think we think about them a lot in our own minds. And then when we actually like say it out loud and say it in a group and people are like, yes, me too. Or like, here's my adjective, even if it's different, it's just so powerful and connecting. I agree so much. I'm thinking about, you said you try and build in exposure throughout the group. And I also know that you as a group leader model exposure and maybe doing embarrassing things. I'm picturing a photo of you and your co-lead where you're like wearing costumes. You look like the the village people of social anxiety groups. (laughs) (laughs) Can you tell us like how you as a group leader and co-leaders exemplify doing hard things and, and doing exposures with your group? Oh, I love this question. Yeah, I do think it's so important that you have to live this lifestyle. And at the same time, I guess it's a dialectic too. I'll be honest with group members. If I'm like, you know, I struggled to do exposures in this way too. Like sometimes I've avoided and I've, you know, so I've been real about like, even in the exposure work mistakes that I've made or like ways that I've wanted to do an exposure and avoided it or, you know, and I'll, I'll give stories from my life. And I know my co-leader does the same thing with hers as well. So we'll use like stories from our own lives. But yes, there was a session that I love that my co-leader came in a, what would you call it? A construction vest? Yes, that would be accurate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I came in a Santa hat and we just started the group that way. And people were logging in and I would see like, maybe there's two or three that snickered a little bit. Some that just seemed normal, like didn't, give any kind of reaction. And then I asked the group, like, does anyone notice anything different today? And some people were like, yeah. And I was like, who here noticed that Kelly and I were wearing different outfits, like weird things. And I think I would say almost everyone raised their hand for that. And then I was like, who here thought that I was like an idiot or weird because I showed up wearing this hat (laughs) and everyone was like, no, I didn't think that. And we, and then we went around and like talked about interpretations and a lot of people just said, oh no, I just thought you were wearing a hat. Like it stood out. But the fact that it stands out doesn't mean that people are judging you harshly. What an awesome way to really illustrate like, yes, like you can notice something is different and yet it doesn't mean that you're being judged or negatively seen within your social group. I love that. Exactly. And now um, our co-leader, she will text a person or to private message in the chat, a person or two each time and say, it's your job next week to wear to wear something. So people will come in like a group member. We start off with like two at a time and then one at a time that they'll come in wearing something and wear it for the group. This is so cool. And I love that they're following through with it too. Like they're really Mm -hmm. taking it seriously. Mm -hmm. And I hear from a lot of people that their most anxious moment is right in the beginning as people are logging in and what they're going to say. And then you know, when the group, as it inevitably does, continues as normal anxiety with this exposure, particularly anxiety does tend to have that spike of it'll go up and then down throughout the course of the group. So it's nice for them to get to see that spike. Yeah. And then decrease. So they experience Mm -hmm. it for themselves. And is this when you say like you give out homework? Is this the homework? Or are there specific homeworks that you tend to give for this group? I found actually so 
there's a specific and general. So what happens is I find that with social anxiety, everyone, it's nuanced for people. So for some people, like they are holding themselves back raising their opinion or for other people they're really afraid of one-on-one interactions or like that closeness interaction and then for other people they're afraid of group interaction so we actually have people come up with their own personal hierarchies at the beginning of the group and then they can pick something off their hierarchy that they're going to set an intention to do ideally repeatedly in between the groups and then we check in with each person of like where they're at with doing their hierarchy item So this is so interesting and something that I hadn't considered that you have like social anxiety presents differently depending on your profile. And so you can experience social anxiety in a, in a variety of ways and still be an appropriate fit for the one group that you run. So it's like personalized within group, which is really amazing. Yes, you're right. Personalized within group is like, I actually found the first group that we did, we did, it wasn't as personalized. And that's when I really started to see all these nuances of like, well, what one person feels really socially anxious about another person in group might, that might be like a almost zero out of 10 on their anxiety scale, but it's like a nine for somebody else. So that's when the second round of group, I really got to personalize it to target their individual goals. Which is like, An interesting journey in of itself that you started this group during COVID and it's only been run online at this point. So what are the the challenges and benefits that you found in running this group online? A challenge definitely would be, I found that with virtual schooling can be burnt out of, of virtual classes and things. So it has been hard to, I think people get online and it's more of the same. And I do miss having that interaction. I I miss when it comes to social anxiety, I miss having that in-person interaction that before a group there's exposure because people are kind of with each other and there might be side conversations or after group or I miss that sort of thing where like group almost makes it more like you've done this at school and now you're logging in and it's kind of more of the same. The way I've gotten over that challenge, although I do think this will be really successful in person too, but one way I've gotten through that is to have people like different ways of calling on people. So sometimes I'll just call randomly. Sometimes we'll use a wheel. Sometimes I'll wait for volunteers and I'll wait there like a minute or two until somebody feels uncomfortable (laughs) to raise their hand. And then that usually follows the chain reaction. I really want to have everyone participating regularly so that I don't want there to be with Zoom. I think it can be easier or virtual. It can be easier for somebody to just kind of hang there and not be present in the room. And I really want everyone like present in this space. So I try to build in that accountability piece. Yeah. It's important to highlight, like in terms of being in the office, there is this benefit to the organic connections that happen when you're hanging out in the waiting room or you're like, you know, trickling out after group and certain people linger in different little dyads and conversations. So those kinds of things don't happen in the online space. And yet there's this other benefit, I think, in being able to see everyone's face and being able to call on people and and get the nuance of the ones that are more withdrawn and hanging back. And I love that you mentioned the wheel. Can you talk a little bit about what that is for listeners if they may not know that it exists? 
Oh, you could go online. There's actually so many of these. If you go online and, and just Google choice wheel, or I think this one is called picker wheel, you can put everyone's names in and then it'll choose somebody. You'll click spin and it'll choose somebody at random so that I like it as an exposure because it also built in this, like, you don't know who it's going to call on. So you, you can't read the, this is actually a benefit of online and exposure wise, you can't read the nonverbals of like that group leader looking over at you and then quick preparing something like there's no verbal cues to know if you're going to be picked on. That really is an exposure. I, I can imagine sitting there being like, is it going to be me? Am I going to have to talk? And really that surge of anxiety that happens in itself is, is a part of the process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At the side conversations, that's something that the first group I realized was really lacking. The second group, the second round, we started using breakout rooms a lot so people could get some diet and triad experience talking to one another to try to replace a little bit of that natural interaction that would happen. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that for me, like small talk makes me very anxious. And so having that as a part of the practice in the group is, I think, important for those teens that that maybe don't have that skill or allow themselves to have that experience. Absolutely. That is a pretty common one. I think the small talk aspect is a, a commonly feared one on people's hierarchies. Is there anything about your group that we haven't mentioned yet that you think is important for listeners to know just about running a social anxiety group, what it might look like, what challenges or, or ideas might be helpful for them to know about? This is one thing that's been a learning curve for me and I, I think would be important for other people to know about. There is this shame component in the group that I find that, and I'm learning this by doing, people will start to say to me, like, I'm thinking of like clients that we see on the side or people will like say, I don't know if other group members like me or I'm not a popular person in the group. And in my mind, from my perspective as a group leader, I'm like, I couldn't pick out the popular people and everyone seems like really kind and they like each other. But once I started really getting aware of how shame will then a lot of times kick in within the group process, what I started doing, and I want to develop my interventions here too, but I, I came out with like a side effect form for the second round of group to actually preview that like this is something that does tend to happen. And it doesn't mean you're on the wrong track. It actually means you're on the right track and stepping out of your comfort zone. And sometimes shame can almost be like this extra like, no, you need more protection. You can't be vulnerable. You can't open yourself up and shame will kick in. And that actually could mean you're on the right track. And, and, I, and I talk about that in group. We actually like scatter it into the group format so that we're bringing up shame and talking about shame and normalizing it as just something that's a part of social anxiety, but not indicative of the truth. So I found that to be helpful. You just blew my mind with something that I think is so important that we don't consider all the time is like the side effects of doing something to stretch your comfort level is like that you might feel more uncomfortable. You might experience more shame. And that doesn't mean that what you're doing is wrong or that it's dangerous. It means that it's working. It means that you're stepping outside of your, your normal routine and comfort level. And so I love this. It's like, you've kind of given them this, what do I want to call it? Like a roadmap for here's what you're going to experience. And that means that it's working. It's like reframing the challenges as actually success steps for them. Yes. Yes. It's like reframing like, oh, this, this is actually like a signpost that I'm on the right track. Yeah. Rather than a, a truth about it. Nobody in fact likes me and there's evidence for that. Cause often there's no evidence for it. It's that protection safety mechanism. Exactly. And sometimes I'll throw out the question who here has had the thought in this group of, you know, I don't think anyone likes me or I'm not popular. And then to be able to see, that's another question that pretty much most hands will go up 
with that and to be able to see, oh, it's not just me thinking this and the rest of the group is getting along perfectly, but everyone in the group is having these doubts yes. um, is also very normalizing. So important. And it's making me think about really the power of group in general that like, especially with our socially anxious kids, knowing that you're not alone, you're not the only one, you're not being rejected for this experience. Seems like it would be a really important piece of treatment. I know you treat social anxiety individually and in the group setting. Have you noticed like benefits to doing group over individual or in addition to individual? I definitely see benefits of at least the combination of the two, or I personally like group for social anxiety more than just individual because I'll find too with individual work, sometimes we can do exposures, social exposures, like especially during COVID, we'll call restaurants and ask, ask goofy questions or we'll do things. But then I'll, I'll hear like there becomes a point that they're like, oh, I've learned that I can tolerate that. It's not so bad. And I can tolerate that annoyed voice <laughs> on the end of the phone. But it's not the same as my peers. Like I think just the teen age, I mean, there's such a peer pressure, like to fit in with peers specifically. So I think that if that piece isn't there, it's it does tend to um, slow treatment or or make treatment only so effective. Yeah, I agree. It supercharges the process in a way that's really helpful, especially for that developmental age where gravitating towards peers is critical for them. 100%. Yeah, I agree. I think it's like, yeah, it's critical, really jumped at me. So critical for them to have that piece of it yes. in dealing with social anxiety. Absolutely. <laughs> so tell us your, let's say new counselor in the field wants to run a social anxiety group. What is it that you would tell them in terms of how to prepare, train, or get started with this kind of group? So I would say to have trainings in some trainings in just exposure therapy in general, if you can find a training that is specifically targeted to social anxiety, even if it's for individual therapy, I think just having a background knowledge can be really helpful of social anxiety in general. I definitely think it's helpful to have a, a foundation in and, and also to talk about this in group and to use tools to normalize it, like what associated physical sensations are there, like what thoughts come up, what other feelings are associated with social anxiety, what urges and behaviors do I, you know, do people engage in? I think that's really helpful to have a knowledge of. I think it's also super, super helpful to have a knowledge of safety behaviors. I think that's like a vital one when it comes to social anxiety. And, and those are all the things that will stop our minds, our brains, our amygdalas from learning that you're actually okay. It's like all the protections that we use, even if we are engaging in a social situation. So I think like having a knowledge of those things and being able to help people pick them out within themselves is big. And then I think the other piece too is to being able to help people and group members to come up with exposure ideas where they're not doing safety behavior. So it, not just exposures of like, I'll go to the grocery store, but if the fear is like, I have to go to the grocery store and always be with a friend, well, then I'm not going to bring that friend along. Or if their core fear is like, I'm going to be annoying to people, then, you know, I think also like a, a knowledge base in mishap exposures, which is where you go a little bit above and beyond can really be helpful. Like I'm going to purposely be a little annoying. I'm going to nothing cruel or mean or against my values. I'm just going to be annoying to somebody and be able to tolerate that um, and helping people to design those type of exposures and like educating them about it. I think these are all important things to know and to consider, especially if you want to get into this realm of social anxiety groups. I can say by history, maybe like three years ago at our center, someone tried to run a teen anxiety group and it was intended to be process based. And this is before any of us had that exposure training that most of us have at our center now. And so really what it was, was a group of teens that sat around and looked at 
each other and nobody talked. And <laughs> it was not a group that lasted long. And so I, I share that example to heed warning to any therapist who's like, I want to hold space for, for teens or people who are experiencing anxiety or social anxiety is that there does need to be this element of understanding social anxiety as a, you know, on a biological level and, and the education that comes with that. I agree. Yeah. I also think personally, I've had to have, so if you're a new therapist starting this off, I think you have to have that acceptance of being able to sit with discomfort. And sometimes I'm thinking my own experience in a group, I'll see somebody that's maybe more shy than the others, or, you know, you could tell that their anxiety is higher. And sometimes as a therapist, I want to just jump in and like rescue them. And I want to like speak for them or give them an idea and to be able to like sit with the discomfort of allowing them to do that for themselves. And, and also to be aware of where my own social blind spots are, because in modeling this, I have to be willing to do the things along with the group. So one thing that was kind of fun that I've done is like, I'm afraid of like looking weird to somebody or like being, you know, rejected. So I have this rejection card game that is easier to play. This would be one that would be more in person. It's easier to play in the community with, with people. So I would bring the cards on like a vacation with me or at the store and, and pick a rejection item just so I can practice these skills outside of session two and just be willing to like put myself out there and sit with that. I think it's so important to be it mindful of the self as a therapist in these experiences, because there is a level of discomfort. Like there's that kernel of truth that some of these teens might be awkward or not know what to say. And there's, there's a discomfort for us sitting in that too. You've shared some good resources. So you talked about the picker wheel, you talked about the, what was that game you just referenced? The rejection game? Oh, the reject, there's a rejection card game you can buy online. Yeah. Yeah. The rejection card game. And then the other day you mentioned a book that I just wanted to highlight here as well. Something about my year of Eleanor. What is that book? And is that exposure based? Oh, yes. I'm actually reading that now, but we actually just talked about this in social anxiety group yesterday. It's an exposure based book. It's not a skill book. It's just an account of somebody. So Eleanor Roosevelt has so had social anxiety very severely. And she actually did like so many public speeches and then travel over the world meeting with different people. So this researcher is Eleanor Roosevelt. And then for 365 days, she does her own exposures in her own life. And some are social exposures, some are other types of exposures. And I do recommend that book for anyone who just wants to add more exposure in their life and doesn't need it to be clinical, but just they're stepping outside their comfort zone. It's such a fun book to read. And it is great. It just gives ideas of how to make your life adventurous and large again and all of that. And I think that's a great place for us to end our time is really highlighting again, the reason that you do this is to help people make their lives big and fulfilling and meaningful and to not let anxiety run the show. Is there a top tip or a saying or really a mantra that helps you embody that or remind others of that, that we can kind of conclude our time with? Yeah. What I want people to take away from this group is like, you can do difficult things and anxiety can be along for the ride and you can still do it. And more doing, I heard this, I can't take credit from this. I heard this from a training, more doing and less thinking, you know, if you can like get in an interaction and just really be present with it and really focus on what the other person's saying and what's around you rather than in your head going through everything. That's huge. Another one that I always want people to accept is like, we are human and we are imperfect. And so we're always going to be imperfect and we're always going to be works in progress. And at the same time, we're lovable as we are too. So we don't need to change, <laughs> but there's also always room for growth. So just having them to be, that's my biggest work as, as a person too, is just, it's okay to be imperfect and let's just be real and vulnerable within that space. 
I love this so much. I think it's so important for all of us to know that we can be imperfect. We can face hard things. We grow from challenging ourselves in ways that are stretching our limits a little bit. And that that's something that you continue to inspire me on just in our daily living. And so I'm grateful for that. Same. Let's see. Jen Moyer is doing amazing things in the greater Philadelphia area with social anxiety group with OCD work and exposures. We are in talks for OCD intensives and more structured and intensive exposure based work for teens in our community. If you'd like to learn more about Jen, you can visit her at creativehealingphilly.com forward slash Jen Moyer. Jen, thank you for being here today. Thanks for having me. Hey, Groupie, thanks for listening. For more resources on how you can market, fill, and run your group in private practice, check me out at becomeagroupguru.com.